You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Forbes.com President and Chief Executive Officer Jim Spanfeller goes on the record online. So the classic definition of consumer control is that someone can choose what they want to be involved with and when they want to be involved with it. Well, we think that's well and good and certainly true. But we also think the idea that you can uh, choose the format or formats that you want to be involved with that content is equally and perhaps even more important. And thank you so much for joining us. For this episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. If this is your first time listening, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as newsmakers, bloggers, podcasters, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Today we have an exclusive one-on-one interview with James Spanfeller. President and Chief Executive Officer of Forbes.com. Uh, he has been in the business of journalism and online journalism uh, for many, many moons, um, 96 to be exact, when he was uh, tasked to launch Yahoo Internet Life, uh, the magazine which now has a circulation of 1.1 million. Uh, he talks quite a bit about Forbes.com's Uh, strategy with respect to uh, integrating the web into everything they do. And I think uh, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, If this is um, your first time listening, I am Eric Schwartzman. I host the show and I am the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We have an online um, tool that allows you to uh, integrate the web into marketing communications, marketing, PR, uh, for corporations, um, all through one powerful online dashboard. And you can find out more about that at www.ipressroom.com. Uh, my day job, I am Managing Director of Schwartzman & Associates. Uh, we are a, a boutique public relations firm found, uh, based in Los Angeles, California, and uh, we specialize in entertainment, media, technology, and consumer uh, accounts. And if we can help you, uh, we're online at schwartzmanpr.com. A professional development opportunity I would like to mention. uh, If you are interested in learning uh, how to use Web Web 2.0 tools um, in a fairly short period of time, I invite you to join me for the New Media PR Boot Camp, which I will be teaching at at the Public Relations Society of America uh, in New York, September 13th and 14th. You can find information about that at prsa.org under the professional development uh, menu, or you can just go to schwarzmanpr.com and link to the page uh, from my website as well. Um, I also want to mention to you, if you haven't checked out the new uh, On the Record podcast website, please do, and please sign the Frapper map. Uh, as you know, uh, you know we've been doing this show for almost two years now. Uh, we do it for a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons we do it is because we want your participation and your involvement. We want to uh, be involved in a discussion about how organizations are communicating online, and uh, we want to know who's listening because we want to be able to focus the discussion to you to in a way that meets your needs and in a way that's relevant. So if you haven't, please 
go to ontherecordpodcast.com and sign the Frapper map. Put your picture in there. Let us know who you are and where you are so that we can focus our content to best meet your needs. Uh, and now uh, we are going to play for you the interview with Jim Spanfeller. Uh, it runs just under 20 minutes. It comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Jim Spanfeller, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Now, Jim, tell us a little bit about your role as uh, president and CEO of Forbes.com. Uh, well, I, you know, I guess uh, the, the buck stops here, as it were. <laughs> uh, you know, things go wrong, I get the blame. And uh, things go right, everybody else is, uh, is a hero, just as it should be. And you've had a very interesting career because uh, I know you launched uh, Yahoo Internet Life and re- have really been at the nexus of uh, mainstream uh, uh, print magazines and online media. Yeah, I, I guess uh, uh, I guess that's a, that's that's true. It's funny though when I when I first uh, got to Forbes.com back in nineteen, I'm sorry, two thousand one. Sorry, uh, I really felt like I'd had a, a pretty good jump on the web, given the fact that I had launched Yahoo Internet Night, Yahoo Internet Life, and another magazine called Expedia Travels, and of course, if Davis was in the sort of center of the technology revolution. Uh, but I have to say, for the first six months, I went home with a headache every night, uh, given the fact that as much as I thought I knew about the web, I really didn't know anything. So I think it's learnable, certainly. Uh, but it's you know it's a it's a it's a tough transition from offline to online, that's for sure. And obviously, a lot of uh, print publications, uh, trade and consumer, have basically dropped by the wayside as a result of the the downturn in print advertising. Um, how do you reconcile that? And uh, the big question, I guess, is, is is print advertising worth more than online advertising? Print advertising worth more. Well, um, I guess the first part of the question uh, is, you know, the, the, you know, there's a clear movement of dollars from offline to online. And I think that just what everyone would tell you, that's going to continue. Uh, perhaps there'll be a, you know, up and down movement to the percentages of increases but I think everyone would suggest that those increases will will continue apace. And the main reason, of course, is that advertising dollars, for the most part, tend to follow eyeballs. And more and more of an individual's consumption of media is moving online. So now, in terms of <clears throat> is, is print advertising, or let's, let's, just, let's not say is print, let's say is offline advertising more valuable than online advertising? I would say absolutely not. I think just the other way around. And the support for that notion would be the fact that online, you can do a couple of things that you can't do offline. A, you can target your advertising in a much more direct and, and tight fashion. As a case in point, Forbes.com, you can buy uh, people that are in the financial service businesses only. You can buy folks that are at large companies or small companies. You can actually buy advertising that goes just to people in certain companies. So these are kinds of things that you know, mass media, if you will, have not been able to do before, and are really around this notion that we talk about of mass targetability, kind of like military intelligence and these oxymorons. 
uh, nonetheless, equally is true that you have a, a big, big reach. For our case and our niche, we've got the biggest reach of anything ever. Uh, but yet that reach is only important as it relates to specific subgroups that individual advertisers are interested in. Then on top of that, if you add the notion of being able to track your advertising, both from a, a click-through to a view-through to a brand uh, effectiveness manner, uh, you begin to see that the web offers uh, a huge amount of advantages that offline is going to have to work really, really hard to catch up with. There was a big story uh, last week uh, about the upfront market in New York, um, and uh, the uh, networks were able to push up the prices of their uh, of their advertising uh, to all-time highs in spite of the fact that they're reaching a smaller audience. Uh, what do you make of the speed at which advertisers are uh, beginning to integrate online advertising into their overall mix? Uh, do you think, is it slower than you would have anticipated? Is it faster than you would have anticipated? Oh. Yeah, I guess it's probably a little faster than I would have anticipated. Uh, although, again, there's, it's not a straight line. There, are, you know, some folks move two steps forward, one step back, and you know, all the usual sort of deviations. Uh, you know, the upfront was a little bit surprising. Uh, I think it's sort of uh, you know, the agency world pushing as hard as they can to maintain their ability to keep their current uh, business model, which is the creation of 30-second television commercials, uh, and the idea of translating that into a more online-centric, more targeted uh, creative execution, I think is, is doable, but it's, it's something that probably most agencies fear in the short term, not so much in the long term. Uh, I think that we'll probably see a, a, a smaller scatter market uh, after the fact as my guess is the networks will continue to miss their, their guarantees, and therefore a lot of the non-sold inventory will get sucked up and make goods. Uh, and I've also heard that a good percentage of the increased dollars, this maybe is at the core of your question, uh, the increased dollars the networks are really going after integrated buys, where there's a buy that's made not only for the, uh, the broadcast or the cable uh, portion of it, but also for the online portion of it. What do you make, uh, what is your prognosis for the future of the 30-second spot? You know, I think the 30-second spot will be with us for some period of time. I think that the, the notion of a 30-second spot being sort of the, the lingua franca of the web is probably relatively short-lived, only because the web allows, you know, creativity to, to, to blossom in a variety of ways. You can have, you know, a 17-second spot or a 13-second spot or you know, three 30-second interludes, et cetera, et cetera, that more uh, comfortably uh, help the, the creative person execute their concept. Uh, however, you know, saying that, the 30-second spot, certainly for, for broadcast and cable television, my guess will be around for some period of time, and I think those guys will be around for some period of time. Uh, you know, at some point, convergence will, in fact, take place, and who knows what that actually means right now. Uh, but I think there's a clear... Uh, near-term future where, you know, the broadcast world survives and the web survives and print survives. I won't say we'll all be happy together, but we'll all be there together. Tell us about the Forbes Video Network. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's very exciting. You know, we launched video uh, on, the, on the site around 2002. Uh, it was very nascent at the time, and we've been adding slowly, although increasingly, 
resources to the network uh, over time, and, and now we're seeing you know basically doubling of of usership of the network on a you know month to month, quarter to quarter basis. So it's gone from being kind of an experiment to being a real part of our overall revenue picture. Tell us about the decision behind the pre-roll advertising. Uh, it's, I won't say, I, I can't tell you there's a huge decision there. I think it was, you know, it's where the marketplace is at the moment. Um, we personally have not seen a lot of pushback to it. I know other sites have, uh, and I think, you know, there are categories. And at some point, uh, you know, it might perhaps be augmented, changed, morphed, uh, but, you know, we right now just sort of put our finger on the wind and figured out, okay, or did figure out, just guessed that, geez, you know, we should have 15 seconds or less as a pre-roll and 30 seconds or less as a mid-roll. What differentiates the content on your network? I mean, your core audience is people who run companies. Uh, what information can they get through your video network that they're unable to get anywhere else? Well, you know, I'd, I'd actually take that question in a different uh, uh, vein. We, we try to work on this concept of entwined media. And what we mean by entwined media is the idea of consumer control, but on steroids, if you will. So the classic definition of consumer control is that someone can choose what they want to be involved with and when they want to be involved with it. Well, we think that's well and good and certainly true. <clears throat> but we also think the idea that you can uh, choose the format <clears throat> or formats that you want to be involved with that content is equally and perhaps maybe even more important. So as a, as, a, as a, you know, sort of direct answer to your question, let's say we're talking about a company's earnings statement. There'll be some group of people who would like to get that very, very general, very top-line information as an audio feed or a video feed or a, uh, you know, one line of text because they're not all that involved. They think it's important to a certain extent because it's part of the overall framework of the, of the business environment. But they don't sell to that company, they're not a member of that company, they're not invested in that company, etc. There's other group of people who are one of those things, or a multiple number of those things, and are incredibly interested in the earnings statement of that company. So they not only want to see what an analyst has to say about that, but they want to see the data and the actual earnings report. And you know what? They wouldn't mind seeing the CEO talk about it. So again, if we can offer, and this is one of the great things about the web versus offline media, if we can allow the end user to self-select themselves in terms of the depth and breadth of the story they want to be involved with, we'll provide a service that heretofore hasn't been available on mass media. Do you foresee a day when companies will be making those types of CEO statements available themselves on their own websites? Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think not only they'll be making them available on their own websites, but they'll be making them available for syndication across a bunch of sites like ourselves. Now, um, you recently bought an application that integrates with Facebook, and it allows users to track up to 10 stocks. Right. Why the decision to go with Facebook? Well, you know, I think that, that there's a couple of things behind that. One is that, you know, Facebook is, uh, you know, an incredibly powerful uh, force right now with a relatively younger demographic, although the social networking sites that are out there, it probably has the oldest demo, uh, although I'm not sure that I'm maybe splitting hairs there. Uh, but we also have had a number of conversations with the folks at Facebook, and we are, we are uh, you know, very comfortable with their thought process on how they want to grow their reach 
uh, certainly with the demos they're in now, but also with demos that are slightly older or older than where they are. So two things for us. One, as people scale into a older demo, or Facebook in this case, uh, that starts to get into our demo. And then two, of course, that uh, the next set of our users are folks that are presently in college. So we'd like to be there with them sooner rather than later. Uh, and we certainly think that Facebook provides a great platform to get that done. Uh, in light of the growth of, of social journal or citizen journalism or social media, um, all these individuals uh, producing content on their own, what 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 advice would you have for businesses that are looking to manage their online reputation? Huh. In, in terms of the blogosphere, you mean? In terms of how they present themselves online. Well, I, I think that you know transparency is is always better than not. Uh, and obviously, you know, being as upfront and as plain speaking as you can be uh, makes sense. You can't respond to every little comment about your company or your products. Uh, but certainly if there's a rising tide of similar types of, uh, of, of issues, uh, you should respond and you should deal with that. I think the Jeff Jarvis episode with Dell is a, is a case in point in that. You know, Jeff was out there. He's a very powerful blogger. He had some issues with Dell. He put him out there. There was a rising groundswell. Dell was smart enough to recognize this and understand that it was something they had to fix, and they did. And what what has that taught you as as a, a media executive? I mean, are you looking to make the processes by which uh, content winds up uh, on the website or in the pages of Forbes magazine uh, more transparent to uh, the readership? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we from the get-go have been very, very clear, or at least tried to be very, very clear with what content is from who. I mean, we, we produce over 3,000 stories a day on the site, and obviously a large number of those stories are not produced by Forbes-employed journalists. They're produced by journalists, but other organizations. And a relatively small, though growing number, are produced by, to use your term, citizen journalists. We want to make sure that our end users are completely clear on who's writing uh, or producing uh, what story. So we'll go to, you know, fairly large extremes to make it clear that this is, you know, McKenzie Quarterly at Forbes.com, or this is a CNET review, not a Forbes.com review. Not to suggest that the CNET review isn't important. In fact, the reason that we've sucked it on the site is that it is important. Uh, but it's to be clear about who's producing it and who's not producing it. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, the idea of the blogosphere being powerful is undeniable. But it does not for a second suggest that professional journalism is at risk. I think just the opposite. I think it's, it's more necessary today than it's been at any time in its history. There was a recent high-profile incident where a Wired magazine reporter was denied an interview with uh, Jason Calcanis, uh, the guy who launched Weblogs, Inc., which sold to AOL. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, if we were going to have an interview, it's going to need to be uh, in print or it's going to need to be in text, and that way you can't uh, selectively quote me and, uh, and, um, and somehow imply I said something that I, I didn't. And, of course, we've seen now Mark Cuban begin to refuse interviews and say that uh, if you want to ask me a question, ask it on my blog. Um, what is your opinion on that? Uh, you know, I don't think that's anything new. I think people have been complaining about being misquoted or taken out of context for decades. Uh, you know, the idea that this would be an exchange in written format, uh, 
I, I guess is is fine. I mean, I, I obviously gets a little stilted, uh, but if you've been burned, I certainly get the uh, the motivation for it. Now, in late April, you guys debuted a beta version of the corporate org chart wiki, yeah. uh, which invites people to contribute what they know about company organizational charts. What's the goal of that project? Well, again, you know, this is going to this Web 2.0 uh, uh, idea. The, you know, you touched on it with citizen journalism. You know, this isn't really journalism per se, but, uh, but it allows the crowd's wisdom to basically be surfaced and made uh, transparent to each other and therefore provide, you know, value across the overall community. You know, one of the things that it's very, very hard for a lot of people, usually even people within the company, is to figure out, you know, who's doing what to whom. And so our thought process was, rather than try to have some organization that we built or we employed track that, it would be nearly impossible, we would have the people who are most intimately involved, the folks that are actually at the companies. And, you know, I think there's uh, there's a very good uh, chance that we'll get to uh, a critical mass, and this will this will take off and work tremendously well. I mean, we've already got probably over... 10,000 companies represented in the uh, in the org chart wiki as we speak today. Uh, we're still in beta, although we're, we're getting ready to add some modifications that we've learned as people have interacted with it. Uh, and we think that by providing this type of service, we're adding value to the overall user experience. Jim, I hear some inherent tension uh, between the phrase wisdom of the crowd and the notion of editorial oversight. I mean, on the one hand, you're saying... Journalism is more important than it's ever been because journalism uh, seeks to uh, provide some perspective and analysis on the news through some sort of process that's been established. And then on the other hand, this idea of the wisdom of the crowd is really just another way of saying anarchy. How do you reconcile the two? Yeah, geez, I, I don't really uh, feel that tension. And, and you know, maybe I'm just being you know, fat, dumb, and happy. Uh, but I, I think that, again, as long as you're transparent about it, as long as you're clear to your end user about it, the, there is you know little friction there. You know the, the end user has to understand in this case that this is a wiki, and that you know part of the issues that we've been dealing with and have to find ways to better service our user base is that there is a fair amount of vandalism on the wikis. Uh, so we're working to take steps around registration and other things to sort of dilute that vandalism. But again, it, you know that's the fact of the matter that you get when you have you know, non-professionals uh, working in an environment. Clearly, the expectation is, for a Forbes-generated article is that, you know, the facts are right, it's well thought through, there's a fair treatment on both sides of the issue if there is an issue, or both sides of the, of the uh, argument if there's an argument, uh, and that you're going to get hopefully a little bit of insight that will make you either uh, smarter or richer. Final question, Jim. Yeah. You're a media executive. You're in the business of getting information to your constituents, to your audiences. What advice do you have for executives inside of corporate America who are responsible for communicating uh, that organization's story to their constituents? What do they need to do uh, to be ready for tomorrow? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a tougher and tougher job. I mean, I think probably, again, at the root of your question, uh, because there is, as we've talked about already, there's so much going on now 
both from professionals and then also from you know regular sort of consumer journalists uh, that it's you know it's hard and I, I feel for those folks. Again, I think you know as as the the, the 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 best way to go forward is being as open and as honest as one can be, and I think for the most part those people are. Uh, and you know having some reasonable ability to balance the need for you know having your executives that you are sort of marshalling get their jobs done and at the same time making them available uh, open to questions and conversations. Jim Spanfeld, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.